0: You are listening to The Actor Aesthetic Podcast, episode 123, featuring special guest Julia Nytel of Broadway's beautiful The Carol King Musical. Let's get started. What's up, everyone? My name is Maggie Barra, and welcome to the Actor Aesthetic Podcast, where I take you behind the scenes of the theater industry. The Actor Aesthetic Podcast is produced every single week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at actoraesthetic.com slash podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at Actor Aesthetic, or join our Facebook group, The Actor Aesthetic Alliance. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get on to the show. Did you know that Actor Aesthetic has its very own online shop? Hundreds, yes, I said hundreds, of actors worldwide are finding massive success using our resume templates, audition journal spreadsheets, cover letter samples, and hundreds of audition song suggestions categorized by voice type and genre. You can even grab a copy of my ebook, Marketing 101 for Actors, an Actors Guide to Successful Branding. To learn more, go to ActorAesthetic.com slash shop. Well, hey friends! Thanks for joining me this week for another episode. We have the lovely Julia Nytel with us today. Julia is a New York City-based actor who has worked both on and off Broadway, as well as regionally. Most notably, she toured the country as Carol King in Beautiful, the Carol King musical, after understudying the role on Broadway. Currently, she is playing Janice and others on the first national tour of Come From Away. I first met Julia over 10 years ago when we both studied at the Paper Mill Musical Theater Conservatory, and I have been quite inspired by her ever since. She is also a feminist and passionate advocate for social justice, so you'll hear us talk a lot about that. Without further ado, please sit back, relax, and enjoy our chat. Julia, thank you so much. It has been so long, but I'm very excited that you're here today and you're out in New York. Yes, it's been too long. And uh, yeah, it's nice to see your face. (laughs) Okay, so we're both Jersey girls. Yes. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. So you grew up in Jersey. How did you initially get involved in theater?
1: Yeah, my parents actually run a community theater in Fairlawn, New Jersey. And so I grew up in this really cool, multi-generational community theater doing at least, you know, two shows a year. And so funny enough, my parents like kind of unintentionally raised me to have like hands in everything. Like I would help with quick changes or I would design a mic plot or run a spotlight or, you know, and even when I started working professionally, I would revisit and help out any way I could. So I had a really cool foundation understanding how many people it takes to put on a show, whether at a community level or a professional level. And uh, I really kind of cut my teeth on a lot of fun stuff.
0: When did you start pursuing it professionally?
1: Um, Sort of accidentally. I think um, I, I technically did my first like professional dinner theater show at four years old. Um, yeah, it's ridiculous. My parents were actors and they were doing showboat and they needed like a young Kim who could do the matinees and wasn't in school yet. So they were like, we have a four year old to play this like seven year old character, but I'm so tall that people bought it. And there's like a whole, there's a whole episode worth of stories in that one. Like my parents <laughs> would come back finding me like with lipstick all over my face. Cause I was just left you know, unattended backstage. But after my, you know, four-year-old debut, (laughs) I sort of like just was, you know, really happy being a kid and never really auditioned as a child actor, Um, was doing the Paper Mill Conservatory, which was a really amazing way to have a taste of professional theater without, you know, working professionally. And then um, when I was 16, Somehow I got wind of the Bye Bye Birdie open call. And I asked my parents if I could go and they said yes, which I didn't expect. And uh, the rest is kind of history. It was like nine auditions later and I got to make my Broadway debut. Dude,
0: that is so cool. You went to the open call at 16. Yeah. For Bye Bye Birdie, which was an incredible cast of young adults. I mean, all of mm-hmm. you were were young in that cast. You make your Broadway debut at 16. Do you remember that audition process? I
1: do viscerally. It's
0: so funny because I actually use it as
1: a touch point now. Like when I'm feeling um, anxiety around auditioning, which I think is something that you kind of go two ways as a professional actor. You either get more confident as you grow or like what I have found is that I've kind of Develop some bad habits of like self-deprecation and self-doubt and the bigger the roles that I'm handed professionally, the more demons I kind of have to fight to get through it or to do what I know I can do. Um, so like when I look back on the audition process for that, I had nothing to lose. I had no career that I'd developed, like my, I had no reputation. So I just was having a really fun time. And found it fascinating and like each time I went in there were more people in the room and in every in every audition I had been told I had a callback until we read for the director and I remember walking out and being like oh okay well that's that's it well thank you guys so much great gotta go and like ended up getting another callback but it was just sort of this like up and down and also really like low stakes time yeah which I'm glad I looked at it that way.
0: Hmm. Wow. So then what happens after the show closes? Are you, well, I guess during the show, were you going to school or were you, did you have a tutor? We had tutors. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, I was the dance captain. So I had, Mm -hmm. um, and I understudied. So we had Wednesdays for matinees and Thursdays were understudy rehearsal. Mm -hmm. So I would miss two days of school a week. And my school, a public school was not willing to work with that schedule. They were like, sure, you could come in, but once you miss your 14 days that you have off, we, we can't let you pass on to the next grade. So we went with tutors and, um, when I was returning, when the show closed, we were all kind of devastated because we had just been given like renewal contracts and a few things fell through and it's roundabout. So like, it's always going to be a limited run, which we knew, but you know, we always <laughs> hope for more. And a lot of us kind of, a lot of them were kind of welcomed back to school. Few we were at PPAS, but my school was like, you have to repeat the year you did, even though I had been doing tutoring and I had been like a good student, and you know, it was sort of a mess. So I said, Okay, I'm gonna do online high school, which didn't work for me. So I got my GED, um, got a hundred percent, not to brag, yeah. but uh, <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I got my GED and just kind of started auditioning, like got an agent and kind of hit the ground running.
0: Mm. And how did you get your agent after the show? Were you submitting to agents? Did someone refer you? How did you get hooked up with them?
1: Yeah, great question. I actually was really lucky because it's super hard to find an agent, which when I was finding a new agent in the past five years, I realized like it is a hustle. You have to work for it. Um, And I was very lucky that the casting director of Birdie really loved me and put in a good word for someone who took care of me for the next, you know, five or six years and actually ended up getting me into my next Broadway show. So I was really lucky with them. And it was just, I was not old enough or experienced enough and also not young enough and childlike enough to really have a place in the business at that age, because I seemed older and then, you know, they would ask if I was over 18 and I wasn't. That's, so. that's
0: such a hard part. That is such a hard age for kids is somewhere between 13 to 18 where yeah, it's great for certain shows like when they're really looking for kids or teens mm-hmm. like Bye Bye Birdie, like the 13s of the world. So mm-hmm. I really advocated for that. But then you get to a certain age where you can be replaced by someone who's 23, who looks young and they don't have to worry about child labor laws they don't have to worry about having a a guardian yep yeah Yeah.
1: and it was funny because i know we were talking about this before we started recording but like when i the reason i decided to take the time away and try to work on my training was because i had three shows in a row that were all like either tours or broadway shows where i was in the final two and I didn't look any of them. There was something missing, and I knew it was something that I had to bring to the table. So I was like, okay, I need to reassess this. I need to take some time, rally the troops, and figure out what I need to do.
0: Hmm. Okay. So then you decided to go back to school.
1: Yeah. I, my options were severely limited because of my GED. Okay. Um, so I wasn't really I had to kind of think creatively about what it was that mattered to me because I knew I wasn't going to get to go to, or even audition for the schools that I had kind of been told were right. those star making schools, you know? Right. And so I was like, okay, what do I want? I want to stay in New York. I don't want to lose the momentum, my agent, whatever. Yeah. I want to get a BFA in acting instead of in musical theater, And I want, I need to go to someplace that accepts a GED. So Marymount hit all of those targets and I auditioned and got accepted and was allowed to kind of double major in the BFA acting. And then they gave me a musical theater minor which they kind of don't recommend because I didn't get any liberal arts classes in my first two semesters. But um, yeah, it was a really great fit for me and there are some really exceptional teachers there that helped build my confidence and shape me. And although I didn't graduate and um, I left to do a play out of town. And then while I was out of town doing that play, I got the audition for Beautiful. So it kind of just rolled one into the next, but I really, I don't think I would be able to do the level of work that I've been lucky enough to do without that intense acting training.
0: Hmm. So you eventually understudied and performed the title role of Carol King in Beautiful, the Carol King musical. So how yeah. old were you when you booked that job? I think I was twenty-two. Wow. Yeah, I. It's sort
1: of <laughs> is another one of those things that I look back on now and go, "What? How did I do so that?" Cool, like <laughs> it is. I, I was so lucky. I yeah. really was. It was it was an insane audition process, which I also remember like it was yesterday. Mm. Um, I started just auditioning for Betty, which I ended up playing on Broadway, which is the track that understudies Carol. And I get this phone call like right before Christmas. Basically i have been in for it. I want to say like nine times already, like truly. When you say
0: been in for it, do you say, do you mean like um, initial appointments or open calls, any of that stuff? This was an agent appointment
1: and I I actually remember being in my dressing room in this out of town playhouse where I was doing Brighton Beach memoirs and I was like, I can't, I can't play Carol King. This is absurd. This this character has to understudy Carol. I'll never get this. So I went in once again with like very low stakes
0: huh.
1: and had about 9 appointments. So like callbacks and, you know, the team is growing and, you know, more people behind the table, very similar to by my birdie. But this was all for the tour. Okay. And and I had no idea that, you know, the Broadway company was even an option, but right before Christmas, I get this phone call from casting and they're like, we want to do a work session f- with you for the role of Carol King. And I was like, uh, okay, okay <laughs> great. And so <laughs> I had like, I want to say three work sessions with Mark Bruni and Mark Schneider, who was the associate at the time. And basically it, it got down to like, two or three of us for Carol on the tour. Wow. And I was 10 years younger than both of the women who were in for it. And I was just sort of like, oh, I'm
0: not, I'm not going to get this. Mm. And it's going to be okay. And when you say, when you say work session for someone who doesn't know what that is, what does that mean? It's basically um, not every show will
1: ask you to do this, but sometimes when the material is like really intense and you would have a lot of the show on your shoulders, I'm sure they do things like this they for They do like this Evan for Hansen. many shows, yeah.
0: especially Evan yeah. Hansen. Yeah.
1: So they kind of work with you to see how well you take notes, um if you can sing the songs, you know, a couple times in a row because eight shows a week is no joke. Mm-hmm. Um and it's sort of a moment for the director and the team to get to know you in a slightly more casual and significantly more intimate way. Mm-hmm. And so it really helps them get an idea of whether they can hand you this show, this role, and put it in your hand safely. And it's very intimidating. (laughs) But um, I walked out of this final callback and was taking a train to New Jersey, because I think I was back in my parents' house at this time. Mm -hmm. And I got out of the tunnel to Secaucus and had a voicemail for my agent, offering me Betty on Broadway, oh which I did not even know was an option. So <laughs> it was bittersweet. Cause I really had been investing this time in Carol and now was being told that like, yeah. Hey, that's not going to happen. You're too young, mm-hmm. but they want you in the Broadway company starting in two weeks. And wow. so that was amazing. Um, yeah, and then I got to a year and a half later take over the role on the tour.
0: Did you move to New York when you booked or did you stay at home?
1: I did. I moved to New York. I I was so happy to be back on Broadway okay. and I I probably spent a little more than I should on a studio <laughs> apartment by myself <laughs> at 23, but it was it was like still one of the fondest memories I have in New York is living in that little box by myself and doing eight shows a week.
0: Do you regret at all leaving school early?
1: I mean, I truly, I was planning to go back. If beautiful hadn't happened the way it did, I think I would have tried to go back. Um, But the universe, you know, it'll just send you where you're meant to be. And I met my husband at school, even though I was only there for two years, Uh one of my best friends still to this day I met at school. And so I got everything I needed from Marymount and then felt like, oh, wow, I can move on into this next phase. So it really kind of happened the way I feel like it was meant to. Mm -hmm. And yeah, no regrets.
0: Gosh. So then you ended up playing Carol on the tour anyway, (laughs) Yeah.
1: which is so cool.
0: So, you know, you've been on tour twice now, Mm -hmm. once in Beautiful and then very most recently in um, just before the pandemic in Come From Away. So what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned about yourself on tour to get you through such long stretches of, Mm. you know, doing the same thing over and over again. And it becomes work, you know,
1: it does become work. And that is such a great question because I think every show teaches you something different about yourself. And I know that my journeys on the beautiful tour and on the come from away tour are very different. I was, I had to work on myself a lot touring as Carol, you know, it was there, there was no moment where I could let my guard down and, you know, go out for drinks or, you know, relax and maybe stay up too late. Like it was all Mm self-care all the time. I kind of became a hermit Mm -hmm. and I don't regret that at all because it got me through. And sometimes you have to make sacrifices for the roles you're playing and still, you know, that happens. But I was really laser focused and really learning what I needed to do to take care of myself, to take care of my voice, to take care of my body. And I I also learned what I need to feel at home. And so in a dressing room or in my hotel room, I needed, you know, uh, a candle. I needed... Mm-hmm. I don't know, like my, my placemat at my dressing station and I needed like three books by my bedside table that I could grab at any moment. Like there are certain things that make it feel like home wherever you are. And it's been super cool to get to take those things and bring them into my come from away tour without the weight of the world on my shoulders, you know, because Janice and Carol are very different roles. I think I sing a bar and a half by myself (laughs) in come from away. And I got to tell you, I love it. Uh (laughs) I'm able to like go out and see the cities we're touring and like be a tourist and like hang out with my cast. And it's just a completely different experience. And I'm grateful
0: for both of them, but it's, it's really nice to be able to relax a little more. Hmm. So take me back to March of 2020, because I know the coronavirus pandemic shuttered basically all live theater. Uh, only a few productions are starting back up slowly, very, very limited. Mm. Uh, how are you staying afloat and spending your days since I know you're back in New York city?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm very lucky because I have my husband who I love so much and we aren't always given the gift of time together. We spend a lot of time long distance just because we're both actors. Mm -hmm. So it has been incredible to have this consistency with him. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's also been like, I mean, I, I was so happy doing come from away. I love the show. I love the people I tour with. I love the role I get to play. And so I was really struggling when we got home because it just felt like I had just sort of gotten into a groove. Sharon Sag and I um, joined the tour together and we'd only been there for like six months. Mm -hmm. And it feels like then that's when you get like, Oh yeah, I feel good in my role. I feel like I'm making good choices and I feel like I'm alive and I'm not stressed about the thousand props I have to handle. But like having that taken away at first was like, Oh, gut wrenching. And now it sort of has given me the perspective of a reset of like being in this business is challenging and anyone who tells you it's not is not telling the truth. There are really good days and there are really bad days. And there are days when it feels like work and there are days when it feels like you're living your dream. Hmm. And all of that is normal. We are all human. And that's what makes us brilliant performers. But when you are in it for that long, you can kind of be like tunnel focus And think that this is, you take it for granted maybe, or you think that this is just going to be forever. And having this complete release really brought me the perspective of, wow, I love what I do. And I'm going to try to keep working through that performance anxiety, audition anxiety, self-doubt, self-hate, whatever it is, because there's nothing else I want to do. And there's nothing else I love this much. And so this pause has really set me back on a course that I think I was at, you know, when I was 16 and didn't know what was ahead. I feel like I'm going to be able to do this show, especially come from away with such love in my heart and such gratitude for being able to be a working actor.
0: I really would love to talk to you about this as well. I've been thinking about this a little bit lately because I know that throughout the election, you were really vocal about getting people registered and ready to vote. Um, Can you talk about that and and talk about why it's so important that we make our voices heard during these very unprecedented times?
1: Yeah, I actually, I mean, I know we touched on it earlier but I'm a big believer in the universe and that things happen for a reason. And I do not think it's a coincidence that all of these brilliant artist activists were unemployed with an abundance of time on their hands (laughs) when we needed lots of passionate people to wake us up, you know? So I am, I mean, I'm doing a minuscule amount compared to many of the people who work all year round, even before 2020 on their activist causes, but I felt as someone who's now seen the country twice over what strikes me so much is the hate and the divisiveness because Mm -hmm. I've been in like deeply red, deeply Republican cities and have come to the stage door and they, they seem just like my, my liberal family members. Like they seem loving and caring and so affected by art. And like, I really think we have gotten to a place where we are forgetting that we're all human Mm. and we're forgetting that we all find joy and love and light in the same things. Like people love musicals, whether you, you know, support the Republican party or the democratic party, you love a musical (laughs) most of the time. And so it sort of just gave me this perspective of like, maybe we just need to make this clear. Like maybe we need to say, Hey, you guys who don't believe in access to healthcare the people you're seeing in these shows these broadway shows some of them lose their healthcare because they're not working they need to have healthcare so that they can be well to yeah. do the next broadway show like you guys don't realize that these these people who need these things are right in front of you and i think it's a lot about compassion and i've been uh volunteering with the women's march doing a lot of like text banking and trying to get out to voters. And it's sort of just been all consuming, but like, I'm just so grateful to have had, had the time. And I, now that I have had this part of me sort of wake up, I'm never going back to normal life. I'm a political (laughs) activist now until
0: I die. I have no choice. (laughs) There is no turning back. Why do you think actors make such brilliant activists?
1: think we not only feel things really passionately inherently, you know that's the name of the game, but I think that we can reach people not only through our art, but like for example, I have um, I've got you know some followers who saw me as Carol or saw me as Janice who may not be may not have a direct line to a liberal, you know culturally focused mindset. And me posting, I, I started losing a hell of a lot of followers when I was posting about, you know, Joe Biden, about the Black Lives Matter movement, about Defund the Police, of all of these things that were sort of, you know, when you really come down to it, we all agree on these things. You're just getting caught up in, you know, the politics literally of it. And I I, I mean, without question, that's that's a loss that I'm willing to endure that I would rather speak my mind and be authentic to myself and the causes I believe in Then have a number next to my followers without question. But what made me feel like it was a win was the occasional person who would slide into my DMs or comment on a post and actually engage and actually ask questions. Be like, I had no idea that actor's sometimes don't have healthcare. I had no idea that this, that, and the other thing. And so for every 10 people who were turned off, there was one person who was engaged and ignited and had their perspective change. And if that's all I can do, it's it's making a, a small difference and I'll take it.
0: My last question for you is if you could just give one piece of advice to a young artist, pursuing a career in the theater industry what would that be
1: this is my favorite question and I'm always so happy when I get to answer it um I it's twofold the core idea is you have to be nice you have to be coming from a place of love and you know thus very easy to work with I think there is so much to be said about how to belt tire and how to cry on cue and like, whatever, none of that matters if you're not a good human being. And <clears throat> I can't tell you how many jobs I've had just from referral or word of mouth and how many friends I have who have the same thing happen in their careers. Like it really is. It's not about going into an audition room and being the best. It's about going into that audition room and having one person behind the table who can say, I worked with her and I love her. She's really nice, really collaborative and will be a joy to have in the room. Like that is the goal. And you can start to work on that in college. Don't get, even in high school, don't get wrapped up in the petty stuff. Don't let yourself be absorbed by, you know, me, me, me culture try to be collaborative, try to be kind, try to be understanding and always be good at taking notes. Just say yes and smile.
0: Yes, (laughs) Well said, Julia, I could talk to you for hours, but I really appreciate you coming on the podcast this week. It's been so lovely getting to catch up with you. Same. (laughs) It's so,
1: so good to see your face.
0: If you enjoyed today's episode and you found it helpful, I would love it if you could screenshot it and share it to your Instagram stories so that I can see who is following along with me there. If you haven't already, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Join me every single week for a brand new episode of the Actor Aesthetic Podcast, bringing you behind the scenes of the theater industry. Until then, this is Maggie Barra signing off. It takes a village. I'll see you next week.